Welcome to Archibiz Unpacks, a podcast for architecture firm owners and leaders who are looking to grow their impact, lead a profitable business, and learn a thing or two in the process. Hi, I'm Beck Kempster, CEO of Archibiz and your host of Archibiz Unpacks. In case you haven't heard of Archibiz, we provide architects like you with practical business advice and education through online courses and programs, workshops and business coaching and mentoring. Each episode, we sit down with an expert in the architecture industry to bring you simple, actionable insights and strategies to help you lead your practice. Now, let's dig into today's episode. Hi, everyone. A quick heads up. Our conversation with Ian Motley was a little bit longer than usual, so we've decided to split it into two parts. Today, we're bringing you part one. Tune in next week for part two. I'm joined by Ian Motley, who's a design fee consultant and the co-founder of uh, Blue Turtle Consulting. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. Uh, so we will launch into it. Um, first question for you, Ian. Uh, fee writing, we hear a, a lot about, um, you know, how we should be doing it, what's the right way, what's the wrong way, which is what we want to unpack today. Uh, is it an art or is it a science? Yeah, it's a good question probably depends on who you ask. Um, we believe it's a science, or at least 90% scientific. And the reason for this is because we base all of our strategies, all of our approaches on an area of research called behavioral finance. Um, it's a relatively new area of research. It's been around since about the 1970s. Um, so yeah, the, the studies, the, the, the strategies, the principles that we teach, all come from that area of research and it's called behavioral finance just in case you ever want to look it up okay great <laughs> um and what's the biggest mistake let's let's start off with what people get wrong rather than what they get right what's the biggest mistake that you see architects making when they're writing their fee proposals yeah it's a good question so look, usually we check proposals against 15 different criteria to see how it stacks up there's 15 things we look for in a proposal in order for it to be successful and um, perhaps the biggest mistake design professionals make is they treat the fee proposal as a legal document. They treat it as something that just needs to confirm exactly the price and the scope and these sorts of things. And the reason that is wrong is because human beings are emotional creatures. 95% of the decisions that we make are based on emotional criteria. Um, and therefore, to write a successful fee proposal, we need to address the emotions. So to put it in sort of layman terms, it's not what you're charging, but it's how you present those charges that really matters. That's what influences the emotions, and that's what encourages people to say yes, or encourages them to say no, or it encourages them to say, I don't know, which is perhaps the worst of the three. So we should be treating it more of a sales document rather than a legal document. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's going to sell your services. Um, being a contractual document is not going to sell your services. Okay, and so that sort of leads me to the question, and we get asked this a bit, um, you know, something like a client services agreement, should that form part of a design fee proposal or is that something that you should be sending along separately? Um, good question. So, look. What we recommend is, is most design professionals, as a design professional, you want to speed up that sales process. You want to meet the client, define the scope, 
and then get that contract signed up because you're you're ready to go there and then, yeah? But in actual fact, what we need to do is slow the process down because as human beings, it's very difficult for us to, to meet, well, meet anyone, but meet an architect, have them visit our site, and then be ready to say yes to appointing them for the full appointment. And the reason that's challenging to do is because it's a very big commitment. Yeah, signing up a design professional to design the entire project for us, it's a big step in that journey. So as design professionals, if you want to be successful in selling the service, we're much better off at breaking up that big step into smaller little chunks of commitments and then feeding those little commitments to the client at a speed that they're ready to receive them. So in summary, to answer your question, it's better not to put everything in one document, but to actually separate it into a series of documents because that reduces the risk for the client. Now, I know that is counterintuitive. <laughs> As design professionals, we want to put it all in one proposal because then it's packaged nicely and we can send it to the client and say, there's everything you need. But as human beings, we don't respond well to that situation. We respond a lot better if you can break it up into small little commitments. And so the client only has to make a little decision with each step rather than one big decision. Okay. And so what would that first decision that we're trying to get them to make with the initial design fee proposal be? Okay, so the first thing you're trying to do is get the client to make a commitment to you, all right? You want them to show some willing to work with you. Now, once again, this is counterintuitive because as design professionals, usually the first step is we commit to them. So what I, what I mean by this is typically a client will call you up They'll usually be a referral. They'll say, you know, you worked with one of my friends or a family member or a colleague or something. We've heard a lot of great things about your firm. We've got this project. We've heard great things about you. We'd like to work for you. And the first thing we typically do as design professionals is we commit to the client and the project. We say, you know, well, where is it located? What are you thinking of doing? How much is it going to, you know, what is your budget for this? And then you organize to meet with them, usually on site to develop that scope to get to know it more in more detail. Now, the reason I say you're committing to them is because usually that on-site meeting is free, right? So they have no commitment to make. In fact, if you ask anyone if they'd like to talk to a design professional about their project, they would love to. So the fact that the design professional will come to them free of charge is a very appealing offer. But in this situation, if you look at it, when you go to visit them, site on their time frame you however are committing your time as a professional and then when you get to that meeting you're going to answer the questions you're going to share some ideas you're going to talk about means methods time frame process so you're going to be committing a lot of information that they're not and and that's that's one of the problems so what we need to do the first step in the journey should be trying to filter out the client to try and understand are they committed to me or are they not committed to me yet and so the best way to do that is implementing what we call a freemium pricing model, which is quite simply a mixture of the words free and premium. So when the client first calls you up and tells you, you know, they've been referred, they've heard great things about you, they'd like to work, you've got this exciting project, you need to give them an offer of a free service and a paid service. And you need to give them different commitments with each one 
so that they show you how committed they are. And what okay. might be examples of that free and premium service, just to give some context? Okay, so, uh, you know, depending on your situation, depending on the project, depending on the client, there's many different ways you can do this. But as an example, your textbook example would be, I might say to a client, let's just say they call me up and I say they want to do an addition or an extension to their existing home. And I'm going to say to them, well, this is fantastic because that's exactly what we specialize in. That's what we do. In fact, we've completed a number of similar projects in your region, in your area, in your state, in your city, wherever it is recently. And look, we would be more than willing to come and visit with you at your site. We could walk it together and we would like to take some photos. We might even like to take some measurements. We can talk about your ideas, your aspirations. We can talk about potential timeframes, the means, the methods, potential costs. And then what we would like to do is go away and talk to local council to find out if there's been any changes in the zoning or the building requirements, in the development application process, anything like that in recent uh, months, because there's quite often changes that happen periodically. Um, and then we'd like to get back to you with the reports, and that report is going to tell you three things. It's going to tell you what you can do with your project as far as uh, massing and scale, you know, how far, if we're going to add an addition to the home, how far are we allowed to go into the backyard? How close can we go to the boundaries? Um, potentially how far into the sky can we go? Can we add an extra story? Could we put a dormer on? What can we do? Um, we're also going to confirm average typical construction costs, depending on different types of quality of service. We're also going to include uh, an idea of the typical construction schedule or the program, how long it might take to design a project like that. And then we're going to put it together to, with, uh, in a report for you. And that report will also define the scope of work, what you're looking to achieve. Um, and then we'll send that to you. And that's going to take about somewhere between maybe four, maybe eight hours of our time. And so there's going to be a fee associated with that. Okay. And the fee is going to vary from firm to firm. But essentially what we're saying is we can answer your initial questions. But to answer your questions, it takes time, it takes money, and there's going to be a written report explaining that. And there's going to be a fee associated with that. Okay. And then we're going to say to the client, what do you think of that? Is that something you would like to achieve? Now, hopefully the answer is yes. But let's say it's a no. Let's say like, well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really know much about you. I don't know. I don't know if I want to hire your firm yet because I really don't know about you. Well, then the next step in that journey is we're offering them a free service. But instead of us committing to them, we're going to exchange commitment for them to commit to us if they want a free service. So we're going to say, well, okay, I can understand you want to learn a little bit more about us and what we do and how we do it. Does that sound about right? And say, well, yeah, actually, that is what we want. I tell you what, why don't we schedule a free meeting at our office and we can show you one of those previously completed projects, what we do and how we do it. And there's absolutely no charge. We can also talk through what you're looking to do. We can answer questions about the process, means and methods. So what we're doing there is we're offering them a paid service, we're offering them a free service. It's called a freemium pricing model. And we're letting them choose which service they would prefer. Do they want something specific to their project and their site? And if so, it's going to cost them a bit of money. Or do they want something more general just to get to know us, in which case they've got to commit some of their time and effort and energy to come to us 
Okay, so that's what we call a premium pricing model. It's a mixture of the words free and premium. And then you'll get to learn a lot about your client because if you offer them a free and a paid service, and let's say they turn both of them down, they're probably not a good client for you. They're probably not the right mix. But the chances are they won't turn both of them down because either the free or the paid will cater to some of their requirements. Okay. Now let's say they take the free, right? They come and meet you in your office. Well, during that meeting, you then want to offer them the paid and say, well, look, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is everything. This is a previously completed project. These are some of the models, blah, blah, blah. We're fantastic. We've won awards. We've done this. We've done that. And by the way, if you'd like to move to the next step in this journey, we would need to come out and look at your project, look at your site, and talk to the local council and go through that process again. And there is a fee associated with that. And so that's the next step. That's the first thing we want to do. And the reason we want to do that is because, once again, human beings don't like big commitments. They like small commitments. So if we can package a small commitment, and let's say that feasibility study, that pre-design service that we're offering them is going to cost a nice, modest, lump sum fee of, let's say, $1,000. You know, you might price it as $997 because human beings respond better to odd numbers and even numbers. But nonetheless, you, you price it like that, and then all of a sudden you get to see, you know, they've got a very small commitment. There's a defined outcome. Do they want to move forward or not? That will give you a lot of information about them. So that's the recommended approach is to start with something small. Excellent. I love it. There's a, there's a lot of value in that. And I, I think uh, perhaps if I'd been offered that in my current residential re renovation, I wouldn't be going through the issues I'm going through right now. <laughs> um it sort of raises the question as well when you when you started talking about fees there. How much should an architect be charging? Yeah, it's it's the number one question we get asked. Um, without a doubt, whenever I speak to anyone, they say, "Well, we've got this project here. It's a, you know, it's a residential, it's a commercial project. It's so many square feet. It's located blah blah blah. How much should I charge?" The truth is, the sad, honest truth is, is that fees are made up numbers. Okay, it's a very difficult thing to digest. Fees are made up numbers. Nobody really knows how much anything should cost. As human beings, we believe we're very good at judging price and we're very good at judging value, but we're not. What we're very good at doing is we're very good at comparing and contrasting. We're very good at spotting differences. Okay. So there isn't one right fee number that you should charge that's going to win you the project. So instead of trying to hunt down and find that magical number that's going to win you that client because it doesn't exist, instead of doing that, what you need to do is you need to offer your clients a range of different prices to choose from, yeah, and then different service options to choose from. And there's many, many reasons why you do this, and I don't know if we have time to get into it today, but the basic summary is there isn't one right price. There's a range of prices that you need to offer. Is there an optimal number of prices that we should be offering? Um, like options, you mean? Yes. Like, you know, is it two options, three options, yeah. a magic number there? So, good question. So, um, essentially, three is nice. However, three is quite challenging to get to because typically, as a design professional, you have one way of doing things. You have one service that you offer, but it's quite easy to take that service and add a few bells and whistles to it, to add a few benefits to it and create two. The problem comes in trying to squeeze out that third 
That's where people usually, you know, uh, trip up. That's where they usually make mistakes. And the problem is that they try and create a third. It's not a, it's not an honest third option. And then their options sort of fall apart because the client sees it and they get confused. So the, the, the easiest thing to do is offer two. The best thing to do is offer three. But it takes a little bit of uh, skill and a bit of um, finessing to, to manage to create three generic, uh, not generic, three authentic options. But that, that's the optimal sort of range. You okay. can, of course, go to four or five. You know, <laughs> it does get better. But if you, if you create too many options, then it, it confuses the client. Yeah, okay. So how can architects, you know, we hear a lot about, um, there is a lot of talk about the role of architecture in, in the built environment now. Um, how can architects compete with lower um, cost providers like other design professionals or, you know, the, the drafts person, for example? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, nowadays we're in a world economy, whether we like it or not, we're competing not just nationally, we're competing globally, uh, even if we want to believe it or not, we are. Um, and so the question becomes, well, what do you do? Because if you're not careful, you end up with a race to the bottom. So to explain what to do, it helps to understand what we're currently doing. Okay, so what we currently do is we visit the client free of charge, we try and define the scope in detail, then we write a proposal which feels like a contractual document where we've outlined exactly what they want to achieve, and then we put a fee to it. And the problem is, is that as human beings, once again, we find it very difficult to judge fees in isolation, but we're very good at comparing and contrasting. So as a human being, as a client, when you get a proposal from a design professional, and I'm just going to make up a number, this is not a recommendation, but just to, to sort of explain the example, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say your fee proposal was 10% of the construction value, or let's say it was a, a round figure of $10,000, right? I'm sure it's a lot more, but just, we'll just use that as an example. So when the client receives that, because as human beings, we don't know how much anything should cost. We don't know what an architect should charge. In fact, architects don't know what they should charge, right? So when a client receives your proposal and they see, oh, $10,000 or $100,000, whatever it is, they see that, emotionally, they don't know what to feel. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. Because in isolation, we can't judge it. So as a result of that, what they need to do is have something to compare it against. So inevitably, they go and solicit proposals from other design professionals, right? Because that will give them the benchmarks they need to compare your proposal. So look, if you're offering a fee of 10% or $10,000 or $100,000, whatever, they can't judge it until they've got proposals from your competing firms. Inevitably, you're going to have a competing firm that charges less. We all do. No matter what the industry, no matter what business so then the question becomes, well, what is the difference? You know, now as a human being, we take the path of least resistance. We look for the quickest, easiest solution to anything in life. So when a client receives the proposal, they get your fee, they don't know it's good, they don't know it's bad, they get another proposal. They've got two choices here. They can either judge it on fee or they can try and understand the scope and try and work out if there's any differences in the scope. Human beings won't do that. I'm a project manager by trade. My job for a large part of my career was comparing scopes. And believe me, it's extremely challenging to do. So the easiest thing to do to make yourself feel good is just base it on the fee. Well, which fee is more affordable, which is more expensive? Um, 
So inevitably, what clients will typically do is they'll take the lowest fee. So let's just say you're offering 10%, they'll find somebody that's offering 6%, they'll come back to you because you're offering a 10% fee. And human beings associate price with value. The more expensive something is, the better it's got to be, right? Because the more expensive it is, the more exclusive it is. And as human beings, we love exclusivity. So they'll come back to the person with the highest fee proposal and they'll say, look, we've got your fee. We, uh, we like what you've done. In fact, we love your work. In fact, we want to work with you. Just one problem. There's a firm down the road that's willing to do this project for half the fee you're asking for. Would you like to reconsider your proposal? Now, you as an architect, as a service provider, when you have a client say this to you, automatically, subconsciously, you're saying to yourself, well, this is my project. They're telling me they want me, they want to work with me. So I can't say, no, I'm not willing to negotiate. I'm not willing to rethink because then I'll lose the project. So I've got to be willing, right? Because this is my project to lose. So inevitably you end up you know, entering into negotiation and then that ends up going sort of south as you negotiate against yourself and various other things. And you end up at 6% when your fees start at 10%, but your scope of service remains intact. And then you wonder how it got to this position. So what we need to do, when you're faced with competition that's lower than you are, you need to give the client the reasons for why you cost more and the benefits associated with this. So what you need to do is give your client service options at different price points and say, look, if you want, you can pay us 6%, but let me show you what you give up if you pay 6%. And let me show you, more importantly, what you get if you pay the 10% or whatever the fee is, right? And I'm going to present this to you in a really simple format. It's a format that we call a fee matrix. Okay, that's what we use. Because then it takes the work out of it. They don't have to read through pages of scopes and service and all that sort of stuff because they'll never read it. They won't read it. Instead, all they have to do is look at the fee matrix and say, okay, I get it. If I choose that basic option, I'm going to give up all these things. But if I choose the premium option, I can get them. Now, guess what? If you're working on residential sector, most clients get usually one opportunity in a lifetime to build a home or perhaps a second home. So they really want to get it right. So when you say to a client, well, you can pay less if you want, but you've got to give up these things, they don't want to do it. They don't want to give the things up. They want to pay more because they can see the benefits. And if you think to yourself, well, ah, it sounds a bit squirrely, it sounds a bit strange, think about your own purchasing behavior. Right? What sort of car did you buy? Did you go and say, you know what, I'm going to try and find that base model of the most affordable car that fits the family? Or did you, in fact, find the car you like, and then all of a sudden you happen to just upgrade to the sports edition? Now, look, nobody needs the sports edition. Nobody needs the, the bigger wheels, the extra souped up engine. We don't, but somehow we all end up wanting, emotionally, we want the GTI, we want the AMG. We want that, or the limited edition, or the custom paint job, or, you know, and it's our emotions that take over. And behavioral finance scientists have a saying, and that is, we buy with emotions and we justify with logic. And you'll notice yourself doing this. So you bought that car. And when you were upgrading to the premium edition, the sports edition, whatever it was, you found yourself saying, you know what? It's just better value for money. It might cost an extra $5,000, $10,000. But 
I'm going to enjoy driving that car more. It's going to have better resale value. It's, it, you know, I'm going to keep this car for the next 10 years. You probably won't, but you tell yourself you'll keep the car. For, so these things take over. And that's, this is when you start justifying with logic, but you bought it with emotions. And that's what we recommend for architects. We need to give the client the options, tell them they can spend less if they want to, but they'll have to remove certain things from their scope if they do that. And to save all the work and all the hassle of trying to work out the differences, we put it in a nice fee matrix. And that's that's how we recommend trying to compete with lower price competitors. So that raises a really interesting point there, Ian. Um, when we're going out with that initial fee proposal, should it be, um, you know, sort of short and concise or does it need to be detailed, uh, you know, and, and quite explained? Yeah, so this is another one of those counterintuitive things. Uh, emotion, our emotions tell us to do one thing, it's the wrong thing. Emotionally, as design professionals, we're like, you've got to tell the client everything. You've got to let them know. Clients don't want to know. They don't want to know. They want you to feed their imagination. They want you to feed their emotions. So what we recommend doing is breaking up that proposal into, into smaller chunks and then feeding that to them at a rate that they're willing to receive it. So we don't recommend hiding anything. We don't recommend not including stuff. What we recommend is don't put it all in one big proposal. Although you want to, it's an itch you want to scratch because it makes it easier as a business to do that, but it doesn't help sell the service to the client. It helps sell, if you want to sell the service, it helps to break it up into smaller manageable chunks. Cool, and that goes on to another question that uh, I think Ray's asked here. Uh, is there value in putting graphics or imagery or that sort of thing into your feed proposals? Or should you keep all that sort of stuff out? Yeah, look, um, definitely. The more you can brand this, the more you can make it user-friendly, um, the less contractual, the more exciting it is, uh, the better. So as human beings, we will gloss over when we see text. Um, so, you know, think of your feed proposal a little bit like an, an Apple sales page. You know, you look at an Apple sales page selling something like, a, you know, an iPhone or, or, a, or a computer, a laptop or something like that. And it's, it's just some beautiful images. It's very little text. The text is very precise because they know people won't read it unless it draws their eye unless it has a nice headline. And then as you want more detail, you can get more detail. But the detail isn't all there on the first page. You have to ask for the more detail. Yeah. Right. Um, and another question that we do get asked all the time is what's the best model for pricing? Is it the percentage um, of the build cost? Is it a lump sum? Um, you know, is it an hourly rate? What, what do you recommend? Yeah, good question. Um, so look, percentage is a fantastic pricing model, which uh, we all used to be able to achieve. Now they've made a good achieve. The reason it's a fantastic pricing model, you all know this, but it's because as the project goes up in value, you get compensated, right? So it's like this magic thing that as the client gets involved and they increase their spend, so you get compensated. So theoretically, and I say theoretically for a reason, theoretically, it's the best pricing model. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to manage with clients. It quite often leads to a sour relationship. Why? Because at some point in the time, the client realizes actually the more they spend on their, you know, if it's residential, I don't know if everyone's residential, but if it's residential, the more the client spends on their kitchens, their bathrooms and stuff, the more you get rewarded with the line professional. 
And then you automatically have that awkward conversation where the client says, well, hang on a minute, just because I've chosen Italian marble instead of PVC tile, or just, you know, because I've chosen a German kitchen instead of going to Ikea, you know, why am I paying you more for that? Because what have you had to do in the process? And as soon as you have a conversation like that, it ends up into a, a battle of wills, yeah? It's, it's a very difficult conversation to manage because the client is attacking you, you're defending, and before you know where you are, you're, you're, you're haggling over your position. It's not a good place to be in. So the percentage is the best. If you can get percentage, it's brilliant, it's fantastic, but most of us can't get it anymore. So that leads us with two options, lump sum or hourly rate. Now, the nice thing about an, uh, lump sum is it, it reduces the ambiguity for the client. And clients love to have their ambiguity reduced. Clients don't like risk. They like certainty. So by giving them a lump sum, it gives them a fixed number. It gives them more certainty. So this is the preferred model for clients. However, it increases the risk of the design professional. And that's once again why we recommend breaking up the proposal. Don't start with the full service. Start with a pre-design service because it's a lot easier, a lot less risk to put a lump sum on a small package of work as opposed to a full package. And that pre-design service should enable you to define the project in a lot more detail before you actually propose the headline fees. Um, hourly rates are a time and place. The, the, the benefits of an hourly rate, they reduce your risk massively. If you work on the project, you should be able to charge because you're based on the hourly rate. Unfortunately, however, you will not charge for every hour because your conscious will take over. You know, you might do something like take you 10 hours, but it doesn't look like an hour to work. Um, so inevitably, you're like, oh, I don't feel comfortable charging 10 hours for that, but it just doesn't look like it. I'll put in five. Um, but you're getting something for it. Well, as you know, lump sum, you can obviously you could be working for nothing at times if you underestimated your proposal. So hourly rate reduces the rigid risk, uh, reduces the reward, um, but it's very useful in high-risk situations. So as an example, if you have no idea what the client wants, they've got no idea what they want, you know, going through a conceptual phase or schematic phase, that early phase using hourly rates um, could help you avoid a whole world of pain if they keep changing mind, changing mind, changing mind. And the other thing is, for example, during the construction administration phase, you know, if you put a, a lump sum fee on that, it might just scare them away. But if you, you don't necessarily put an hourly rate, but if you put a, you know, I'll charge you X amount for every site visit, which is a unit rate fee, then the client might think, well, I'll have this project wrapped up in six months. So that's only six site visits. So it's a very small amount of money. And you know that it's going to, you know, there's going to be delays. They're going to change their mind. They're going to change it. So it's going to take them 12 or 18 months. So, so unit rates can be very useful at the, the back end and the front end. Um, so basically what I'm trying to say is there isn't one fee model we should all be using. There's pros and cons to each fee model. We as design professionals need to learn, get it in our DNA about what the pros and cons are for each one. Uh, and that way we can choose the best uh, fee structure for, for the situation for the occasion. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. If you loved what you heard today, share this episode with a friend, give us a five-star review, or even leave a comment. You can follow us on Instagram at ArchiBizHQ and find us on LinkedIn and Facebook also. Oh, and if you want more of ArchiBiz, make sure you download our free eight-step roadmap for finding more and better clients. You can find the link for that in the show notes. 
See you next time.